You're listening to an audio message from Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. For more information, visit our website at harvestgranger.org. Well, good morning, Harvest Gospel Chapel City something. Uh, it's good to see you guys here this morning. As, as Trent said, my name is Ben Hurt, and uh, some great news. We are seven weeks away from launching our Elkhart County campus. So that's pretty exciting, yeah. I'm not sure whether to clap or cry at this point, but uh, I know God's going to grow that church. And I would just love to invite any of you who, are, who live in the Elkhart County area uh, to join us on April 14th, uh, 10 a.m. That's when we're going to launch. Uh, we'd love to have you there. And if, if you are calling this campus in Granger your campus that you're going to attend to, please do not come there on April 14th because you might overload us with your presence. Uh, come in May or June where we actually might know what we're doing at that point, okay? Uh, but we would appreciate that if, if, uh, if you would stay here for now until we get that thing going. Uh, well, I had recently come across a story, but before you do that, there's something we have to do. Uh, we have to open our Bibles. So Romans chapter eight, 12, we're going to look at Romans chapter 12, open there. And while you're doing that, uh, I want to share a story that I came across on Facebook. Um, it was about a guy whose name was Sir Nicholas Winton. Uh, maybe you've heard of him, uh, maybe you haven't, but in, he was 29 years old at the, in 1938, and he was a, a London stockbroker at the time, and he was actually getting ready to go on vacation uh, when he got a call from somebody that would change the, the course of what he was going to do. And on the other side of the phone was somebody sharing about how the Nazis were moving into western Czechoslovakia, and they were making violent attacks on many Jews and many of the children were left behind with no one to care for them. And so Nicholas got this burden and he decided that he was going to put forth a massive effort to, to evacuate these children. Well, uh, prior to him doing that, uh, there was this other operation going on called Operation Kinder Transport. And that began December 2nd, 1938, uh, in which 10,000 Jews were rescued. However, this did not include any of the children that were in Czechoslovakia. And so this began uh, Winton's efforts to save the children there in, in the Czech. On March 14th, 1939, Winton had his first success, where the first set of children left uh, Czechoslovakia for Britain by airplane. And by August uh, of that same year, August 2nd, the total number of rescued children that Nicholas had saved was 669 kids. And the video that I had watched, I think was, it was an older video, it was from 1988, but at this point, you know, he was well up in age and the children that he had rescued were in their 50s and 60s. And he was at this commemorative opportunity just to praise what he had done to saving these children. And right next to him, he was introduced to this lady uh, who was actually one of the children and shared a little bit about her story. But then the one who was leading that whole thing uh, actually had everybody else who would, had been saved by him to stand up and Winton just noticed all around him, all these people, all these adults had stood up uh, of these children that were saved during that time. I just think that one person made an effort and made a major impact in 669 lives. And just think of the impact that those 669 people had on others. And what we're talking about today is we're talking about a gospel home. We are talking about actions of a gospel home. And as we look at Romans 12, we are going to see these actions. So why don't you follow along with me as I read Romans 12, verses 9 through 13. Let love be genuine. 
Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Well, during this month of February, uh, we are making a big push for people to get involved in gospel communities or what we call small groups. And over the last couple weeks, we've kind of been working through this statement here. We are a gospel city established in gospel communities found in gospel homes, which can consist of gospel citizens living sent. And so Tyler, a couple weeks ago, Tyler Holder shared about uh, the fact that we are a gospel city. And Jesus' declaration to us to be salt and light is a declaration to influence, preserve, and give light to a people that needs it through the power of the gospel. We are a city, a gospel city set on a hill to be salt and light to those around us. And last week, Micah uh, took us to the book of Acts uh, where he laid out the foundation of gospel community that we see in chapter two there. And that foundation is founded on the response, our response to the gospel. And so what I wanna focus on today are gospel homes. Gospel homes. So what exactly is a gospel home? Well, first of all, if you're single, maybe you're thinking, well, that just doesn't really apply to me. I'm not a, a gospel home, I'm just by myself. I'm, I'm not speaking about specifically husbands and wives and families with children. This is, this, this is for everybody. Each of you represent some kind of gospel home. Really what we're talking about is the environment that you create. So when people are hanging out with you for a certain period of time, maybe they're coming to your house or you're going out to dinner, what, what kind of, how would they characterize you? How would they feel after being around you? And so what we have here, uh, if you were to break it down, you actually see there's 13 uh, commandments and that's kind of overwhelming, 13 commands to do. So we can break it down into four. So here's four actions and I'm gonna give you the first one right here. A gospel home loves. The first action of a gospel home is that it loves. Look at verses 9 and 10 again. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. So let's just spend some time talking about the fact that love, let your love be genuine. Now, if you have a different version of the Bible, your, some, your version may something like, let, let, let your love be without hypocrisy. In other words, let your love be real. Don't put on a mask. Don't be fake. Don't be, don't be fake in that. But here's the thing we got to understand about love. That word, uh, we have a tendency in America especially, I don't know about other countries, but we take words and don't we kind of strip them of meaning? Like we just kind of throw the word love out there. Uh, I love Taco Tuesday. Uh, I, I love chocolate. I love animals. But then we, we mix it in with other things that are far more important than that. I love my spouse. And I love baptism. Wasn't that great just to see uh, all the baptisms that we had a couple weeks ago? Uh, I love seeing the work that Jesus is doing in other lives. I love Christ. But what exactly does love mean when we throw all these things that we say we love? 
well, if, if you've been a part of the church for any period of time and you've been seeking the Lord for much of your life, you, there's a chapter you probably think of when you think of love. Uh, maybe if you were married, that was a chapter that was read at your wedding. wedding. But I think of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Uh, one that we should go to over and over again. Whenever we come across that word love, this is agape in Greek, if you're one of those Greek scholars. I'm not, but that's, that's the Greek word for it. Uh, and anytime we come across that, I, I think it's helpful for us just to, let's go back. Let's look at what 1 Corinthians 13 says about love. So let me just read that for you uh, right now. 1 Corinthians 13, I'll start in verse one. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. We can be tempted when we're talking about love to think it's some kind of act we do. Well, I I love those people down the street because I wrote a check for them. Uh, but that doesn't necessarily you, you, we mean, it means that you love someone when you're doing an act of service. Love goes deeper into the heart. L- listen to what it says as we go further in verse 4 of 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. So, so for those who know you best, would, would they describe you this way? Would they say, hey, you love this way? This is the way we're called to love. Let's just pause for a second to think about uh, what is hypocritical love then? So we got, a, we got a description, an understanding of what genuine love looks like. What does hypocritical love look like? Well, what I think of is I think sometimes uh, we just want to do fellowship with people of our own choosing. We want to handpick those that we're going to let in our life. Oh, yeah, this, this guy over here, he's great. He's great, but he's a little weirdo over here. I'm going to stay far away from them. We, we can tend to do that, and, and we can, that's a hypocritical love, and we're putting characteristics on who we will choose to do life with. And some of us, when it comes to getting into a gospel community or into a small group, uh, we, we have all these different things that need to, our criteria that needs to be met. Like maybe it's, you know what, I'm only going to be in a small group of singles. Don't want to be around married people. I'm not married people. Don't want to be around them. So only single people. Sometimes if we're married, we don't want to be around single people. I don't want any single people, just married people, because that single person is going to steal my spouse. <laughs> we can get crazy like that. But it's beautiful when we do life with people who are different than us. That's a hypocritical love when we do that. Some of us were like, I, I only want a small group of young married families. That's it. Uh, and with children. There has to be children. And then there's others of us who are like, I don't have any children. I don't like children. I don't want any children around me. And we can have all these stipulations on love. But that, that's not love at all. Like love is looking for people who God brings in their path, whoever that may be. And so let me just encourage you, if, if you're not in a small group, and maybe that's a reason why you're not, let me just encourage you to reconsider your motives for being in a small group. Like, let it be an opportunity for you to love somebody else instead of being loved or feeling comfortable. Like, pursue genuine love, not hypocritical love. 
We see another description of love in verse 9. Love abhors what is evil and holds fast to what is good. In other words, we should hate evil. We should detest the things that are false, that go against what God has called us to do. They should not be a part of our life. But some of us, we can be tempted in our own private world to think, oh, you know what, this, this, my entertainment choices doesn't matter if I'm not letting anybody else know what it is. It's fine by, it's by myself. So there's a little bit of violence. There's a little bit, you know, so there's some crude humor to it. Maybe there's a little bit of sexuality that I shouldn't let in my life, but it's just private and, and, and it's not gonna bother me. And so we open up this door to allow evil into our lives. How many of you grew up mainly in the 80s? Any 80s people out there? 80s were so much better than it is today. Like if you were born after the 80s, like you're never gonna believe this. We actually rode our bikes without helmets. <laughs> Crazy, right? Like the stuff kids wear today, it's like they're going to like, they're like part of the SWAT team. That's what it, that's what it feels like. And guess what, we also didn't wear seat belts. And I remember as a child actually sitting in my dad's lap in, this, in, this, in the driver's seat driving the car as a little child. It was awesome. Sure, there's occasions where you're sitting in the back and mom slams on the brake and you end up in the front seat, but hey, it was a blast. It was awesome. Well, this one particular day I remember, uh, we went to a store and there was this awesome gum called Tidal Wave gum. You guys ever have that? It was these square pieces of gum and you just bite into it and this wave of sugar just rushes into your mouth. Just awesome, so good. And I asked my parents for if I could have some and they said no, and so I did what any good Christian boy would do. I stole it. And I brought it home and, and hid, because I didn't want anybody to find me, uh, but I got caught. I was too young to realize that under the kitchen table was not the best place to hide. But isn't that true what we do in our lives when we allow evil in, right? We know something in, deep inside knows what we're doing is wrong, and so we isolate ourselves. I isolated myself from the people who love me most because I knew what I did was wrong. And when we're not detesting and hating the evil stuff in our life, that's what can happen. We can begin to pull away from community. Maybe some of you are here because you've been burned in the past and for you to even get here is like this huge step. Praise the Lord that he brought you here. Let me just invite you. If there's anything evil in your life, turn away and cling to what is good. Just get the picture here when you, when you study that, like it's be glued to what is good. Hold tight to the things that are good. But sometimes we can even go a little bit too far when it comes to hating evil. Now, certainly, each of us individually want to hate the evil in our own hearts, and we should hate the evil that we see in others. Galatians 6.1 says this, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. And so, yes, we want to be after each other's sin, but sometimes we can attack one another, can't we? And bring condemnation when we see faults in others. But notice that scripture there, Galatians 6, 1 says, says approach one another with a spirit of gentleness. Like we wanna bring restoration. Don't, don't look at somebody who's struggling in an area of their life and just beat them up over that. And we can kick people out of fellowship because they don't look exactly like us. They're not as perfect as we are. But if we're honest with ourselves, every one of us here has weakness in our life. And so let's, let's make sure that we are cl clinging to the good that God is doing in other people. Don't be, uh, don't use a shotgun approach, right? Like if you think of a shotgun and you shoot it, the further away that bullet gets, what happens? It, it spreads. 
And so we can attack each other that way. Maybe there's a heart issue with one of us, and then, but we just kind of attack the whole person. Like, imagine if the doctor, you had a broken arm, and the doctor needs to fix your arm, and, 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 and what if he, like, ends up breaking a rib? Well, you know, I got the vicinity. At least I fixed your arm. Like, he has a shotgun approach to us. Like, it doesn't work that way. A doctor's able to use precision with a laser to do what he needs to do. Let's let that be the case for us, that we don't destroy people just because they are, they are fall short in different areas. Cling to the things that are good that we see in others. In verse 10... Uh, We're commanded to love one another with brotherly affection. Brotherly affection. Treat fellow believers as family. Now, certainly, I I love my kids and I love my wife. And if I had the choice to be with them or, or with you, I would choose them. I love them deeply. But yet, God still calls us to love each other like family. To love each other deeply. We need to have that kind of love. We need to pursue others with affection. Do you view the body of Christ that way? Do you look at those around? We're all messy, right? <laughs> We're a messy group of people in this room. If you, if, if, even if my life was put up on the screen, it's messy. There's messy things about it. But we do life together because we have a brotherly affection because all surrounded about what Jesus did for us, right? Like, isn't it amazing? You ever think about those that you have fellowship just because you come to church here? Like, outside of Christ, we wouldn't know each other. But as I've been here, I've been here for six years, I've grown such a deep affection for the people of this church. A brotherly affection, a bond that, is, that cannot be broken. Let's love each other with brotherly affection. And he, here's a reason why we want to do that. John 13, 35 says this, the world will know we are his disciples if we have love for one another. So if we don't have love for one another, what, what does that say to the world when they see Christians who are fighting with one another? Let's be a place that has brotherly affection. The last part of verse 10 says this, outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another in showing honor. That means beat each other to the punch in showing honor. Do it abundantly. I, I love this phrase. Be look on the lookout for evidences of grace in people's life and express that. Don't draw attention to yourself. Don't try to be the star. Uh, make sure you give public esteem to others and what you see God doing in their life. And if I'm honest, there's far too often I'm thinking that. I'm thinking good things, and I don't express it. But what a joy it is when, when I receive words of encouragement, and what a joy it is to give affirmation to others and to see them receive it well, and the joy that it brings to see. It's all for God's glory. But let's be people who's looking to outdo one another in honor. Now, I'm not saying you just go to everybody and say, you're good, you're good, everybody wins a trophy. I'm not talking about that. Give honor where honor's due, but let's outdo one another in showing honor. So let me ask you this. How, how can you grow as a as gospel home when it comes to loving others? How can you grow? Is your love genuine? Is there a realness to the way that you love people where you're not looking to just get with a certain group of people, but you're willing to be a part of wherever God puts you and love whoever's around you? Do you hate what is evil and are you clinging to the things that are good? Do you have brotherly affection for those around you? And are you seeking to outdo honoring others? Let's be gospel homes that love. Here's number two we see in verse 11. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. 
The next one is this, a gospel home works. A gospel home works. Do not be slothful in zeal. Basically what that means is is don't be slow at being quick. That's what it means. Don't be slow at being quick. Work hard, get after it. Do you know what a sloth is? It's like the slowest thing in creation. Kind of a cool animal, but not a, not a great thing to, hey, you're a sloth. That's not a very good compliment. But I was look, doing some research, like, how fast is a sloth exactly? And so what I found out that is that for, for when a sloth is on the ground, it takes them a minute to get from here to the podium. Can you imagine that? They get really fast, though, when they get in the tree. They get all the way up to nine feet per minute in a tree. So super slow animal. Don't be slothful like that. Let's work hard. Let's get after it. Don't be a sloth. Be fervent in spirit, the text says. Let's be excited about what God is doing. Do you realize our greatest problem has been taken away? Our sin, we are no longer bound to that. Our chains have been broken. We are free. Let's be fervent in spirit. Let's seek the Lord with everything we have. But here's the reality. Uh, We can't do this by ourselves. We need the Holy Spirit's help. Don't be like the guy in the gym. You know that one guy who, he comes in and he's geared up, he's got the muscle shirt, he's got shorts that no one should ever wear to anywhere public. And he's grunting and he's beating his chest and he's got all these weights on there and he has a routine. He's, he's going around in circle, just punching himself, getting himself all psyched up for it. Goes to lift and then yells all that big grunt, but he doesn't lift it yet. He walks around and does it all over again. And then he goes to try to lift it up and he can't even lift it. You guys seen that guy? Don't be like that. Like, don't try to lift it alone. Don't try to go this life alone. We are called to be in community. We need the Spirit's help. Be fervent in the Spirit. And don't forget this, we serve the Lord. He's the one, he's our motivation. We are looking to make much of him. So think about your life. Think about the priorities, the, what you have to participate in. Are you, are you an employee? Are you an employer, uh, husband, father, wife, mother, son, daughter? all these different responsibilities, a neighbor. Like as you're going through life, are you doing everything you do for the glory of God? Is he the one that you're serving ultimately? And because when he's not, when you're serving for yourself, when you're working your own job just to make a paycheck and bring a paycheck home, then when the job gets hard and the boss gets annoying and the people you work with get hard to work with, we lose motivation, maybe we slack off. Well, I'm not working hard for this guy. He, he doesn't give a flip about me and so I don't give a flip about him and I don't care if the work doesn't get done because I'm getting my paycheck and I'm getting home. But like, that's, that's not serving the Lord. When we serve the Lord, we realize that everything that we do is for his glory. Everything we do is that God will be made much of. Matthew 5, 16 says this, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Let your motivation be because of what Jesus has done for you. You want to serve him. You want to do everything you can for his glory. And and as I was thinking about this, I just came across three reasons why we stop working for Christ. Uh, maybe you can relate to some of this, but w- when I find myself doing my own thing and caring about my own self, these three, it usually falls in one of these three categories. This is exhaustive and you may be able to add more. Uh, but number one, uh, the reason why we stop working for Christ is we're, we are forgetting the gospel. We, we've forgotten what Jesus has done for us. 
And it, it, it's gonna be a danger for our church, potentially, although uh, behind the scenes I don't think it will because we just understand our desperate need as a staff for Jesus. But here's the gospel in a nutshell. A hot word, gospel, but here's what it is. God is holy. He's perfect, he's just, he's righteous, and that creates a major problem for us because we come into this world sinners, seeking ourselves, wanting to be God, separated from God, living in misery because of that. But the good news is, is that God didn't leave us on our own. He sent his son Jesus who came, lived the life that we could not live perfectly without any blemish. And then he died a death that we deserve to die but that we will never have to if we repent and trust Christ as our Lord and Savior. That's the gospel. And when we live that out every day, preaching that to ourselves, we're gonna be motivated because we want to give all the glory back to Christ. And when people see our good works, we can point them back to Christ. Like, why are you working that way when your boss is who your boss is? It's because I don't work for him ultimately. I work for my savior who paid the price and it opens the door for the gospel because you're a hard work. But if we're slothful in zeal, people aren't gonna be interested and actually other Christians really aren't gonna want you to be vocal, right? Because we, we represent Christ and so let's, let's, let's work hard for Christ. Don't forget the gospel. Number two, we aren't abiding in Christ. We, we stop working when we stop abiding in Christ. Easy to do. Just that song even that we sang. Sometimes we can go through the motions and, and just sing another song. But if, if I'm honest, uh, when I look at my life and I see the seasons of drought that I've experienced, the, the most common thing I see is the fact that, man, I haven't really been abiding in Christ. I haven't been in his word. I haven't been seeking him in prayer. Now, certainly there are seasons where we're still seeking him, but we're still dry, and God allows us opportunities to point our hearts back to him. But let's, let's abide in the vine. Let's abide in him. Let's seek after him. Let's be in his word. Let's be men and women of prayer. Don't forsake it. There's no easy pill that we can take that is gonna snap us into godliness. You know, sometimes we get ourselves all worked up. Tomorrow I'm gonna read the Bible and I read and we're waiting for some magic thing to happen <laughs> and it doesn't come because it comes over time as we keep abiding in Christ, as we keep filling our minds with the word of God and allow that word to affect our hearts. Abide in Christ. Here's the third one, third reason why we stop working for Christ, because we're going at it alone. We're going it alone. We're trying to do things ourselves, and we think we got it. I don't need anybody else, just me and Jesus. And maybe that's you. Maybe you find yourself in a place where I, I'm not, I don't trust anybody. I'm doing my own thing. Man, you're going to have a hard road if you don't have some other brother or sister coming alongside you to carry you. All throughout scripture, there's this theme that we were saved to be in community. We don't just do small groups because that's what every other church is doing and that's the hot thing. We do small groups because we look at the Bible and we just see that we're called to do fellowship. We are called to do life together, to pick up each other's burdens. And so if you're not yet in a small group, let me just encourage you, right after the service, head straight out those doors. You see those tables of people who love to get you in, in a group. And if you're waiting, keep pounding them. I encourage you, just keep pounding them with emails every day until they get you in one. I'm sort of joking, but sort of serious too. Like we need community. You, we can't do this alone. We need others around us uh, to help us in that. A gospel home works. Here's the next one we see in verse 12. Next action. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. 
A gospel home hopes. A gospel home hopes. And as you look at that verse, each of these kind of feed off one another. Like you, you need the first one in order to get to the second one, which reminds you why, why we need the third one. So what we see first there is rejoice in hope. What is hope exactly? Well, you look at the world and how it defines hope, it's very, very different than what the scriptures say. You know, we say things like, man, I sure hope my team wins this week, or I sure hope that mom makes tacos on Tuesday, or I sure hope that we get to go on vacation this year. Those are all wishful things that we don't know are going to happen. But here's what biblical hope is. Biblical hope is looking forward in confident expectation. Looking forward in confident expectation. Very different wording. There's a confident expectation that we have as believers in Christ that what we're experiencing in this world right now is not what eternity is going to be like. And so we don't live for the things of this world. We're not trying to do everything we can to protect what's going on here. And when we, when we try to do that, there's a lot less rejoicing. But when we rejoice in something that can't be taken away from us, the fact that eternity is coming, we get to be with Jesus all the time with no distraction, no more pain. Those of you who are dealing with pain and suffering physically, emotionally, there'd be none of that in heaven. No more suffering, no more sorrow, no more bad news in heaven. Just rejoicing with our Savior and with other believers. That's the hope that we have to look forward to. And again, that's a common theme you see, especially in the New Testament, of look forward to what's to come. Put your hope, rejoice in what's to come. Don't put all, count all, put all your eggs in the basket of earth. This is not what glory is going to be like. In fact, think of the greatest thing that you think heaven could be like. It's going to be far greater. It's going to be far greater than our greatest thoughts. We're going to be with our Savior. Rejoice in hope. The text also says be patient in tribulation. And so the reason why we need to rejoice in hope because tribulation's coming. You've heard this before, probably in some form or fashion. Uh, there's three types of people in this room. There's some of you who are in tribulation. There's some of you who are just getting out of tribulation. And there's some of you who are getting ready to head into tribulation. And if we're not rejoicing in hope, then that tribulation is gonna wreck our current world here. But we can be patient in tribulation because we know the scriptures say that God is working everything for the good of those who love him. We rejoice in what's to come because we're going to experience tribulation, but I can be patient with this because I know Jesus is creating newness in me, right? He's making all things new. And one day, all of that's going to be done away with. Be patient in tribulation. God, God's word teaches us to consider trials a joy because it produces in us perseverance. The reality is, for me, I grow most when I suffer. It's just a true fact. I grow more when things are hard than when things are easy. Because in those hard times, I'm seeing the insufficiency of myself and seeing the complete sufficiency I have in my Savior. And it brings long suffering and perseverance because I see how he works and how he holds on to me the whole way through. Trials teach us to rely not on ourselves but on God. John Phillips says this, the Christian does not rebel in tribulation nor rashly accuse God. He is patient knowing that God is too wise to make any mistakes, too loving to be unkind, and too powerful to be thwarted in his ultimate aims. We serve a mighty God. He's too good. He's too good to use the suffering to harm you. 
He's working everything for our good. And being patient means that we remain behind. We don't move too far out in advance waiting for things to change. We, we, we hold in God's timing and trust that he is gonna move us out of this, take us through it in his timing. We don't grumble, we don't grow restless, but we wait for Christ to do his work. Now, the reality is we, we face tribulation, and, and what I'm not saying is that we should just, just love when hard things come. <laughs> That's not what the scriptures say. It doesn't say rejoice, like, yes, my life is awful, but it's great because I should just say it's great because that's what we should do. I'm not saying that. Rather, in our mourning, we don't mourn as those without, without hope. We mourn as those who have hope. We rejoice in what's to come. And when we complain about hard things, as if we, it's as if we are telling God that he doesn't know what he's doing. When we allow the suffering in our life and we argue and grumble, it's, it's as if we are saying that God's not really on the throne and, and, you, and we know better. So we, we endure suffering patiently. We mourn, but we mourn as those who have hope. And then we see also that to be constant in prayer. So because of the fact that tribulation is coming or we're in the midst of it, let's be constant in prayer. Let it always be something that is on the tip of our tongues that that when we're going through trials and we're going through suffering that we learn that the first place we go to is the throne. We We go to God in prayer. That's what he calls us to. But if if I'm honest, uh, there are multiple reasons why I don't pray. And so I'll share these with you. Maybe you can relate. But sometimes I just don't pray because I think I can handle it on my own. I got this. I can do this. I got that boot, pull the bootstrap up, straps up mentality where I think I don't need God's help. I don't need anybody's help. It's not a big deal. I can do it. And sometimes, if I'm honest, I just don't think about praying. You ever go through suffering and you you just continue to deal with it and you're maybe anxious about something for a long period of time? I've gone days and then I realize I have not prayed one minute about this and get on my knees and invite others in and share others to be praying with me. And it's amazing to see how God works when we go to him in prayer. Sometimes I think I'm beyond prayer. (laughs) I'm just too messed up. This habit has been so ingrained in my heart. I'm never gonna stop eating M&Ms. They're everywhere here in this building. Like, we can get so caught up in the things that we struggle with that we just lose hope and like, I just, I'm just always gonna struggle with this. This is my lot in life. Sometimes, I don't think it will help. I don't think prayer will help. God doesn't care about this little thing. It's not, that's not a heart like, oh God, you don't, you don't care. It's just like, a, uh, I feel selfish asking this prayer. You ever do that? Like, feel selfish. Well, I don't deserve to have life go easy for me. Uh, you know, we're in the process of moving and there's certain things we're praying and it can be tempting for me to say, I don't have a right to say I, I like a nice house in a nice neighborhood, but like, God still delights to give good gifts to his children. Now, we should stray away from the prosperity gospel that says we deserve all these good things, but, but God desires to give his children good gifts And the last reason why I don't pray is sometimes I just don't know how to. You ever find yourself there in a a pit, in a dark place, and you don't know what to pray? Well, the beautiful thing about the scripture is that the spirit intercedes for us in those times. He prays when we don't have the words to do that. So what keeps you from being hopeful today? Are you living for the joys of this world rather for the hope of eternity, and so you can get caught up in trying to, trying to build your kingdom here. 
Maybe you find yourself complaining about the tribulations that you've experienced rather than being patient, trusting in your good God who is going to bring you through that. And maybe you, you find yourself like me when it comes to prayer. You just struggle to do it. You forget, or there's multiple reasons why you don't do it. Well, if, if you're here today and you're one of those who feels, oh, I just can't bring this to God, I'm too unworthy, let me just remind you of what Hebrews 4, verses 15 and 16 say. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who is Jesus, who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet he was without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may f- receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And if you struggle with unworthiness, let me just remind you that Jesus knows. He's not, he's not waiting for you to get your life right in order for you to come to him. Come all who are who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. We can go to the throne of grace with confidence. Jesus is not a judge up there ready to smack us on the head every time we screw up. He's a gracious God. It's a throne of grace, not a throne of judgment when it comes to his people. Run to the cross. Run to the throne of grace that you may find comfort when? In your time of need. And let let me remind us all that our time of need is always. We always need him, and we can always run to him. A gospel home hopes. Here's the last one, verse 13. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Lastly, a gospel home serves. A gospel home serves serves. It says, contribute to those who are in need. In other words, have or do in common with, share what you have in abundance. Take part in coming around those who are in need so that you can contribute to that. Now, don't think this means that it's only money, monetary, or stuff, but like sometimes your presence is all somebody needs. Listen, one of the great, the greatest gift that we ever receive from other people, and, and we've received so much. We've received cars, meals, money. I could go on and on with all the things that we've, ways that we've been blessed. The things that stick with Nikki and I, my wife, the most are, are the scriptures that people share with us in our time of need. Because that's what we go to. Friends come and go. Friends move and get jobs elsewhere and they move, but God's word is forever. And it's there with us. We have had to say goodbye to some dear friends, but they have left us with treasures that will never leave us. God's word. Let's be looking, though, for opportunities, being proactive in ways that we can serve others. So recently, Nikki and I went on a uh, a pastor's trip, uh, pastor's and wife's trip, and uh, we have five kids. So when you go alone somewhere, you really have to plan well in advance. And that's a lot to ask anybody to do. And so we split them up. Our, our, we have three girls and two boys, so we sent them off that way. And uh, we had a, there's a couple that's part of actually our Elkhart County core. Their names are Jessica and, and Aaron Scholl. And uh, even before we even knew we were going to need extra help, they just they offered right away. They're like, hey, we can help serve however you need. We'll take the kids. But here's the thing. They have five kids themselves. And they're all about our age. And yet they humbled themselves. Really, it was their joy. It was no sacrifice to them, at least what you understood. I'm sure it was a sacrifice once our kids got to their house. (laughs) But they joyfully were hospitable to us. 
They contributed to the needs that we have because we needed a couple days where the boys had nowhere to go. Let's be a church that is outward focused. Let's be a church that looks to serve one another. Let's not be a church that are just full of those who come and sit in their seats and just receive, 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 and nothing goes out, nothing is giving. We're not connected to other people. And and let me just say, by God's grace, if you are a believer in Christ, by God's grace, you have something to offer others. That's not a man-centered thing. The reality is, if you're a believer in Christ, he has gifted you. And he's called each and every one of us to be hospitable, to be in one another's life. And when we are receiving from the Lord, receiving, 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 and we're not giving it out, we, we grow stale. Let me just encourage you, those who are doing life alone, you have something to offer. There are people who are suffering who you have been encouraged in a way that you can speak into their lives in ways that others can't. Let's be gospel homes that love. Let's be gospel homes that work enthusiastically for Christ in everything we do. Let's be gospel homes that hope in the midst of tribulation. So we can show a world that desperately is looking for people who are joyful despite their circumstances. They'll be quick to join you in complaining about things, but they will observe and they will notice a difference when you see, when they see you suffering in a way that is unlike the world because we work for Christ. And let's be a people, let's be gospel homes who are serving others, who are looking for those who are in need. Sometimes that's messy. Sometimes that means we're interacting with strangers who don't look like us. Maybe they're not the same color as Micah shared last week, just about being, doing fellowship with those who are in different contexts of culture than we are. We may prevent ourselves from serving because we look at their kids and realize, I don't want their kids hanging around my kids and messing my kids up. But maybe your kids would do the best thing up. <laughs> but let's be people who seek the Lord, seek opportunities to serve one another. And, and I'm convinced of this. We are a gospel city a light meant to shine to the world, made up of gospel communities, of of small groups who are serving one another. But the reality is you you can't have a a solid gospel city without solid gospel communities. And we can't have either one of those without solid gospel-centered homes. Take this scripture this week, seek the Lord, how can you grow? Be encouraged that the Lord's working in your life. If he brings conviction, that's God's grace too. But be hopeful to realize that he, he gave everything for us. Let's be gospel homes that seek God's glory alone. Why don't you stand with me as I pray? Father, thank you that you are patient and kind and loving God, you see us, you know our frame, you know we're weak, you know that none of us has this mastered. So protect us from ever stepping in the foot of these, this church and walking out with a thought that I gotta do a bunch of stuff and I'm just a big failure. God, would you remind us of your grace and mercy when you, when you lead us to, to ways that we can grow It's your grace. But Lord, help it all to be centered in the fact that you gave everything for us. God, may, may that word gospel not be a familiar tune, tune for us, 
may it be something that we proclaim to ourselves every day. Remember, our motivation is not to receive glory from man, but it's to give you all the glory in response to your goodness to us. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you that you give us your word, give us direction, Lord. You are a good God. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.